everyone, and welcome to the Canadian PodCow. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sarah Sash, here once again with my co-host and fellow farmer, Andrew Campbell. How's it going, Andrew? It is going wonderful, Sarah. I, I'm curious, you know, it's kind of February, it's cold here in Ontario. You know, you just kind of got those midwinter blues a bit. I, I'm assuming, though, I love going to BC this time of year because it feels like spring is already in the air this time of year. How, how is it out west? I was going to say, I just thought that was probably off limits for the podcast today. It's starting to look a little spring-like out here. I've been pruning my apple trees, getting my yard ready, <laughs> cleaning up the flying round bale plastic that's all over the place from being in the wind through the winter. So yeah, things are looking up in BC. I hope that nice weather makes it your way pretty quickly. <laughs> How's it going with the barn build? You know what? The barn build is actually going like this is one that you didn't want to ask me all fall long because I usually cursed and was unhappy because it just it was wet all the time. Whereas the framers moved in the first of January and they haven't had a single day off because it's been wildly cold. Don't get me wrong, but the weather hasn't really impacted them. I also have understood and realized that dairy farming in the winter seems like a much nicer job than framing in the winter. So I'm not changing careers, Sarah. <laughs> and you're building an insulated barn. So when you get nice uh, cold weather like you get in Ontario, you'll be ready, unlike us out here in the West. So, <laughs> Well, that's certainly the hope. But no, it's it's going really well. And, and, and we're kind of really excited about hopefully that spring weather hitting us and, you know, we'll be off to the races around here. So there's all this going on, but still, matter of fact, we're still in February. It's a big month for Dairy Farmers of Canada this month, where they have their policy conference and all the, the February things, the first week of February. And uh, this year, Dairy Farmers of Canada unveiled an ambitious goal uh, to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions from the farm level dairy production by the year 2050. This was big news. This came out at the policy conference. What do you think, Andrew? Well, big news is right, because it is one of those that obviously we've heard for the last number of years from other industries and from government that this is a target that, you know, they've wanted to hit. So now to hear that, you know, sustainability and doing this here in the dairy industry is is going to happen, I, th I think is pretty exciting. What I want to know, though, is what does it actually mean and how are we going to get there as an industry? Because it sounds great, but certainly I think there's lots of big questions in how are we going to get there? Yeah, when you start to look around our dairy ecosystem, you can see that a lot of our partners, uh, both processors, government, all those types of things are very interested in moving in this direction. And uh, Dairy Farmers of Canada is becoming part of that right now. So in this episode of the Canadian PodCow, we're going to be joined by Corb Whale, who led the efforts of Dairy Farmers of Canada to set this net zero target and bring this forward. But first, before we talk to Corb, we're actually going to hear a familiar voice, David Weens, who is the vice president of Dairy Farmers of Canada. He's also been working on this file. We're going to talk to him about sustainability on this episode of the Canadian PodCow. So the Dairy Farmers of Canada have now established the goal to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions from the farm level dairy production by 2050 with a milestone in 2030. We're happy to have on the show today David Weens from Dairy Farmers of Canada to help us talk some more about what this even means for dairy farmers. So welcome here, David. Thanks, Sarah. 
Now, David, uh, what I want to do is kind of get this uh, ball going and get the conversation started with, like, let's look big picture here. You know, sustainability is one of those incredibly important discussions for us as farmers, but obviously for Canadian consumers as well. Um, can you give me an idea, you know, you personally, David, um, why is sustainability a, 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 an important issue for you? Well, really, you know, in a way it comes down to, you know, living on the land, being on the farm. We're kind of at the front line of everything that happened. So I, I, I like the idea uh, of, you know, of, of building a farm or, or, you know, the farm practices that actually help to improve the farm. My idea is that it, the, the best thing is to leave the farm actually in a better place than, than from when you received it. So, you know, we live on the farm. We play on the farm, we work on the farm, it's all here. So then it matters. It, it matters that we take care of the environment that we live on. And of course, you know, and, and we hear all the concerns. So the concerns that we're actually hearing from people really reflect the concerns that we have. So, you know, those are the kind of values that we do share with, uh, with uh, other, you know, with the, the rest of Canadians. And I do think, uh, you know, I totally agree. And I and I look back at the generations passed on, you know, the farm here and how fortunate I am that my parents looked after it and, you know, had a more sustainable farm for me and my grandparents did the same for them and, you know, so on and so forth. So, I mean, it's something that I think as farmers is important to us. So why is it important now to set targets? Yeah, and, and you know, with all the attention that's being placed on the environment, we know that that right across society there is a huge concern about, you know, about the environment, about you know climate change as, as we're experiencing it here and around the world. That it's it's uh, it's no longer a, a theoretical uh, uh, thing. I mean, this is real, and and I think many of us, in one way or another, have experienced this, and so. It's it's uh, for us to simply say, you know, we're already doing everything that needs to be done. It's all good. Don't worry about us is is just it's not acceptable and people will not buy into that. In fact, I think that we would be rejected as as uh, as dairy farmers, as an industry, if we showed no concern for these things. And and it's not it's not that this is being put on it's it, this is real this is real for all canadians this is especially real to us as farmers so for us to uh to actually set out the kind of uh, uh targets that we have i think makes a difference if we were to say you know we're going to try to do our best over the next you know uh a uh, few years and 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 hopefully someday uh, you know what that just doesn't cut it people will completely reject us for that Oh, I hear what you're saying there, and, and I share with you both Andrew and David that we have this kind of connection to the land and all of that part of it that falls into dairy farming. Can you tell us, David, from your perspective, what kind of progress have we made as an industry over the last 30 years? Like, I feel like when we start looking out 30 years, it seems really daunting. But then if we start to reflect a bit on what's happened in the last 30, what have you seen happen in, in your career uh, that's brought us to the place we're at today in terms of sustainability? Well, yeah, sure. And and when I when I just think of, uh, you, you know, uh, there's a few things, for example, uh, our carbon footprint in, in Canadian. So in, in Canada, so to produce a liter of milk, uh, you know, today compared to uh, 1990, for example, 
our carbon footprint has been reduced by 23%. And I think that's, that's pretty dramatic. And also considering that when we compare ourselves uh, to you know, global uh, dairying around the world, we're actually less than 50% of the average uh, uh, you know, um, carbon footprint you know, around the world. And I think that, that gives me you know, so, you know, uh, some hope that you know, we have actually made a lot of progress already and when I look at other other indicators, for example, you know, using uh, you know, in let's say let's take uh, since uh, you know about the last ten years or so, to uh, to produce that 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 liter of milk now takes six percent less water than it did then. It takes eleven percent less land than it did at that time. So all of these are indicators of how far we've already come. Now, that's not to say that we can rest on our laurels and say, this is what we've done. There's a lot more work to do. And, and so uh, by looking, you know, by looking uh, ahead, first of all, doing a, a materiality assessment, right, to see, okay, so how do we measure where we're at today so that as we move forward, it's going to be important for us to see those incremental improvements over the years. And, and, that, and, and I think part of what... Uh, you know, when I look at, at the big, you know, this is this is a, a big target, right? Carbon neutral by 2050. And I know people ask, well, what in the world? Like, do you have a plan? We're developing a plan. But I also have a lot of confidence just in, in um, you know, the research that's being done, the, the, the innovation that's happening. There are there are pathways to achieve this that we haven't even fully uh, recognized yet. So, so yeah, I, I'm confident that that we will continue to make those improvements into the future. Well, and what a great news story when you talk about that 23% reduction in carbon footprint over the last number of years. And that was with no plan. That was just naturally yeah. through innovation. So when you start to think, man, if we actually focus on this and work together on it, you know, it, it actually sounds pretty reasonable. Now, you also mentioned, David, um, you know, globally and the fact that Canada is a global leader um, in this already. But it was actually, you know, interesting for me. I hadn't realized this, that DFC joined 11 of the world's largest dairy organizations um, in supporting pathways to dairy net zero just last fall. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about that and, and how that is setting a standard globally for the dairy industry? Well, and yes, so by, uh, you know that just from that, you know that this is a major focus around the world, that you have, the, you know, many of the largest dairy organizations are recognizing it. And 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 so uh, obviously for us, uh, you know, it's important to be part of that movement. Uh, you know, when you hear, uh, you know, I, I think we, we kind of have an advantage here in, in some respects in that, uh, a lot of things tend to happen in the U.S. or I would say Europe first, and then it goes into the U.S. and and then we're faced with some of these challenges. So I think that provides us time to position ourselves. So to know what's happening globally, I think, is critically important uh, for us in the way in which we're going to address these things. So you know, basically, you know, many of the things that we want to accomplish here in in Canada really. Uh, you know, is supported by this global dairy platform about how we're going to move forward on these specific things. 
So some of our listeners will already know this because they were there, but Stephen Gilboa, the Federal Minister of Environment and Climate Change, was at the policy conference where this announcement was made. Um, David, what was your sense of his reaction and really the reaction of the federal government to this commitment by dairy farmers? Well, he was very, you know, he, he expressed uh, great pleasure, I think, in, in instead of having to defend uh, a government policy position, he's actually you know, coming into a group that's saying, yeah, we're there. Like, like we plan to do this. We know why you're doing this. And, and, and it's important to us too. And so, you know what, we're going to, we're going to be with you on that one and we're going to help make this happen. And, and, and I can only imagine that someone in, in, in uh, the minister's uh, position, it would be music to his ears. And especially, you know, that this individual has really dedicated his his life to environmental concerns right so we know that for him it's not just another portfolio that you know he's you know that that he he now has but it's real to him and to hear that from us and and to understand the kind of improvements that we've made but that we're also wanting to go beyond that is something that uh, that that is is very uh, you know I, I think that would really that really strikes a chord with him. I know that uh, you know uh, Pierre Lampron and myself have met uh, with a with the Prime Minister uh, and and the Minister of Agriculture on this very issue too as we were planning this and and again uh, you know it was it was very well received and and they know that that we are serious and that we are uh, players to be relied upon so that I I, I think that was we came into a situation that is a win-win. And then when we want to, you know, kind of reach out to them and say, you know, here's how you can help us achieve these goals that we've set out. They're, they're very open to that. And they're, they're more than prepared to work with us on those. Yeah. I I was just going to ask you about that because I can, I think as farmers, we can agree that our values are aligned with this type of a, a move, but on the industry side, but if you start to think about it on the home farm, we're going to need some support to achieve these type of goals. So what do you think that the support from the government could look like, or how do you think that relationship will grow as we work through this? Yeah. So we already know that, that, their focus is, uh, you know, uh, you know, on the environment, you know, uh, making making those kind of improvements. And so a lot of their programs, I mean, obviously, they're going to uh, they have and they are developing programs that are that are really trying to uh, create those incentives out there for, you know, in this case, for farmers to go a little bit further than they might otherwise be able to, you know, in this time frame, because, I mean, we can all have the greatest ideas but we do have the reality of economic sustainability too. And so many of these improvements that we have made over the years, like uh, like Andrew said earlier, I mean, these, you know, we did this without even having the, the environmental aspect in, in, in uh, as kind of a, a forefront driving force, but it created efficiencies on the farm. And of course, that's, that's where the direction is gonna go. And a lot of these things will continue to create further efficiencies, but I know that there's some things that are kind of a, a, a you know a, a big step up in terms of having to make you know let's say capital investments on the farm because you know there's not much there's not much good in something that's that's going to you know pay off in, in 30 years if we can't carry it for the first 10 <laughs> years right so uh, I, I think that recognition is out there and so together that's how we're going to do it. 
Now, obviously, David, 30 years is is a long way or it feels like a long ways yeah. away anyway. When we when we talk about, um, you know, this this target for net zero by 2050. But that's not the only story here. There are targets at that that are coming up at 2030, which, my goodness, does it ever seem like that is speeding towards us? Can you talk about what those targets are? What what do we as dairy farmers need to know is coming down the pipeline? Well, yeah. So the government has set, you know, 2030 as a, a 45 percent reduction, and then uh, you know the 2050 would be uh, carbon neutral, right? So. I think that that kind of sets up uh, the expectations or the, you know, kind of what we would be uh, driving towards. And, and you know, to that end, there's going to be, you know, there there is those uh, targets. I mean, things are being measured as we, you know, as we come into this to, to give us an indication of exactly where are we at today and how can we improve this. So, I know that 2030 seems like, uh, and it is, I mean, it, it, it comes a lot faster than any of us maybe uh, would like it to, to do on any front, but here, here you go, right? It, it's, uh, so what I, what, I, what I like about the, how are we going to achieve this as, you know, as, as dairy farmers, right? We are all across the country in such very different environments, different situations where we have the ability to do things maybe that some farms in another region or another province may not be able to do as well. But if each one of us will contribute in a different way towards reaching that goal, I think that's when it becomes achievable. So it's not about, uh, you know, it, it's certainly not about adding something to proaction to say that, therefore, you must do each one of these things, uh, you know, to be approved. This is more about uh, you know, what are the things that I can do in my area? Uh, what are what can be done in, in other parts of the country? And we all have, you know, uh, certain areas which I, I think all of us across the country have certain kind of low-hanging fruit, which are things, you know what, uh, just a little bit more, and we can actually achieve that. And, and, and so I think that's where together we can, uh, we can reach those incremental uh, goals that we have set, and, and again, uh, there are some things that are still under development, right? I mean, uh, you know how, you know, innovation, you know, technology and innovation is moving forward so quickly that, uh, you know, 10 years ago, I think there's some things we're doing today that we thought was more kind of science fiction, but today it is reality. And I expect the same thing to continue happening, uh, you know, in the future. Yeah, for sure. I understand BFC has also um, announced other strategies that have qualitative targets. Can you tell us a bit about those? Now, I, I one of the things that uh, uh, I'm not sure maybe, uh, you know, there, there'd be something like uh, getting involved in, in other programs. So let's say DFC has teamed up with organizations like Tree Canada, Ducks Unlimited, uh, Clean Farms, and, and, you know, some of these things are, are, I know that are not available right across the board, but to one extent or another, they are. So, uh, so that, you know, we can, we can tap into those things. For example, you know, we do have the, the services of clean farms available to us. So that creates a really good uh, opportunity to deal with, uh, you know, some of the, the plastic waste that comes from, you know, uh, uh, silage covers and so on. 
Uh, Ducks Unlimited is another one. Uh, you know, Tree Canada is something that, that we can all be involved in. So those are things that I think that are going to, they have, and, and, and so these organizations, for example, Ducks Unlimited will have some programs that are also available that we can tap into, but there's also other groups like uh, conservation districts and, and so on that, that have access to money and funding for various projects too that are gonna help us uh, achieve some of these goals. Now that actually kind of starts to answer my next, and I think probably at least my final question, and then we'll let you get back to work, David. But, um, you know, it's around kind of next steps for the industry, you know, particularly in the next few years, um, you know, for, you know, you in Manitoba, Sarah in BC, me in Ontario, you know, you mentioned how different these environments can be. But I still would would love if you could kind of get your crystal ball out for a second here and just, you know, kind of think through in what are the things that over the next year or two that dairy farmers really need to keep an eye for that are going to support these initiatives so that we we as an industry can all move forward towards these targets. Yeah, so I, I, I think that uh, uh First of all, part of it is to uh, to continue to do more of what we have been doing in terms of of efficiencies. There's there's efficiencies that we have gained in genetics, but also efficiencies gained in um, in, in in how we feed our cows. Right, the uh, it's it, it, there's much more finesse there than there was uh, you know just a few years ago in terms of of getting the, the right amount of production. So I think that's an area that will continue to be a focus. I think there's I think there's there's a fair bit of work that can be done on farm in terms of uh, of the soil, of how we of how we do cropping, uh, you know, the, the the cover crops. I think these are really important things. I think those are are some to me, those are some of the, the low-hanging fruits on the farm. I mean manure management is 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 a big thing. And I you know, it's it's interesting that, uh, for example, uh, you know, a lot of people see manure management as you know, uh, as, as something that uh, you know, sure, it, it, there is a cost there. Obviously, you have to do something with it. But to me, I I think just the whole thing about uh, of thinking it of it more as a resource uh, and an opportunity rather than uh, simply a cost on the farm. So I think then it, then things like uh, you know. Um, you know, uh, soil testing, for example, to see, you know, what amount of, of manure would go on on uh, particular fields and so on, and, uh, and the rates. Those are, those are really, I think, ways in which we can improve. Uh, I mean, uh, reduction in, in, uh, in, you know, artificial fertilizer, for example, I think, you know, just to mention a few easy wins, because when you're, when you're saying, but what are some things that we can do now? I think it is really important to... Uh, uh, to actually identify certain things rather than just, I know from a high level, you know, it, it's, we can say we can achieve all these things, but really in the end, what can I do on my farm that's going to make a difference? And, and when I think about these things, those are the things I think about. Um, and, and secondarily, it, it's other projects. It might be, you know, it, it, it might be, uh, uh, solar panels or it might be, you know, wind energy or, or, uh, Biodigesters, although you know there too, those things only make uh, sense in certain parts of the country. But I, I like to always start kind of at ground level. What is something that I can do on my farm 
starting uh, starting now, uh, you know, starting this summer, for example. That's that's the way I like to see these things. Well, we certainly got a lot to think about, David, and I think it's a great uh, way that you frame it there that we just need to start somewhere and get going on this. So on behalf of Andrew and the Canadian PodCow, um, I would like to thank you for joining us today and definitely for all the work on your, you're doing on behalf of Canadian dairy farmers uh, regularly. So thank you so much, David. Thank you. I think as we've talked about today, it's one thing to establish a net zero goal for dairy farmers, and uh, it's another thing to get there. So for the the rest of the podcast, we're going to be talking about the sustainability strategy uh, that Dairy Farmers of Canada has and what it all really means um, with a person who did a lot of the heavy lifting to get DFC to this objective. Um, his name is Corb Whale, and we'll be happy to uh, get to know Corb a little better right after the break. If you ask Canadian dairy farmers what it takes to become global leaders in sustainable farming, they might say, Conserving wetlands with Ducks Unlimited Canada. Working with clean farms to find innovative ways to reduce plastics. Supporting biodiversity with Tree Canada. If you ask dairy cows, well, they always say the same thing. Dairy Farmers of Canada, doing more today because we're here for tomorrow. Find out more at herefortomorrow.ca. Welcome back to our discussion about sustainability. Now we're going to hear from someone who really is a leader in sustainability within the dairy industry. Corb Whale is a dairy farmer from the metropolis of Alma, Ontario. He and his family own and operate Clover Mead Farms, which was actually awarded the Dairy Farmers Sustainability Award back in 2014. Corb's also a director with Lactinet and a director with Cornerstone Renewables, which is a company owned by digester operators formed to manage the procurement and delivery of organic waste as a feedstock for their biodigesters. So Corb, welcome to the Canadian PodCow. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's so great to have you on the show with us, Corb. And just as we like to do with any dairy farmer guest that uh, shows up to join us here, give us a, a little bit of an introduction to your farm. We can't uh, get into the material without talking farm a little bit. <laughs> That's good to hear. Uh, I, I'm a dairy farmer, obviously, from, from north of Guelph. And Andrew alluded to the metropolis of Alma. If, if we get really granular, I'm from the greater Goldstone area or the GGA and Goldstone has about 15 houses in it. So you can just imagine the traffic in this area. Um, <laughs> I was seventh, seventh generation farmer. My great, 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 great grandfather is buried right across the road from where we farm now. And he came from England and, and actually settled in Mississauga and walked back and forth for five summers to clear trees to create enough land to farm here. So so we're either too stubborn or too silly to leave, but we've been here for a long time. So I guess a couple of interesting things about my farm. Um, we we uh, went to robots. We milked with robots for 12 years and just recently have gotten out of robots and back into a rotary parlor. In 2011, we put in an anaerobic digester and have been producing about six megawatts of electricity every day from the anaerobic digester. Some of the fringe benefits of that are heat that we're able to use back in the barn and the farm to heat water or houses or floors or anything else. And um, the solid portion we use back in the barn is bedding as well. So those are a couple, a couple of the things that are a little bit different on my farm. 
Well, that is a little bit different, although as as a soon to be robot farmer and a robot farmer as host, we're not going to discuss uh, why you switched to Rotary <laughs> because I'm just going to go la 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 la. They're fine. So no problem. <laughs> um, what I do want to talk about is we, we just got off from talking with David about this sustainability strategy. And a lot of our conversation with David was about going forward. What are we going to do as dairy farmers from today? to 2030, to 2050. What I want to do with you, Corb, is kind of maybe back up a little bit and look at the process because this obviously didn't happen overnight, this, um, you know, sustainability strategy. You know, can you walk us through what the process has been like and and what it's entailed for, for you and all the organizations that have been involved? Sure. So I was a little a little late to the game with DFC's strategy. We obviously have our own sustainability strategy at Clovermead Farms, and I think that's educated me a fair bit on the possibilities. So I, I was asked to join uh, DFC's sustainability working group, which consists of members from every province. Um, it, we've had farmer advisory groups with farmers from every province. And we're consulting with a lot of industry experts and specifically with Veresco Solutions. They're sustainability experts who work at Veresco that have helped us to, to first of all, create this strategy. And they're going to be involved with the next step of it as well, where we, we implement the strategy. So one of the first things we did was to perform a materiality assessment. And basically what that is, is we identified what the possibilities were what was important to both farmers and consumers and government, and then prioritize those so that we knew if we developed a strategy, we were developing the strategy that had the biggest impact for the, all of the things that we wanted to impact. So number one, the environment, number two, our consumers, and number three, farmers. So that that was the, the long process over this past year is collecting information, doing that materiality assessment, talking to farmers, figuring out what regional differences there were across the country, and then ultimately that culminated in creating a goal. And as you know, our goal is net zero by 2050. So now the heavy lifting actually starts. Now we figure out the how, how do we get to net zero? So the goal is the easy part, but you do need to align everybody. The tricky part is now going to be getting there. And uh, I'm really excited about, about this next phase. So if we can swing back a little bit just to the why, like as farmers, we have such a close connection with the environment around us. We care for the land. We want to make sure we've talked about a bit about that and your family, seven generations of, of people making that effort. But why is this really important to you uh, that we solidify this in some kind of strategy right now? Well, I, I, I guess the biggest reason to do it now is that all of the momentum in society is moving that way so not only are our consumers demanding it farmers realize that we can do more society as a whole sees that climate change is affecting more and more people across the globe all of the time so the big advantage that we have as Canadian dairy farmers is how we work collectively. We work extremely well together. We're very organized. We run nationally. Uh, uh, we have organizations that run nationally. So we have the opportunity to do more as a group than we could ever do as individuals. And I, I always use the example, if there's 10,000 dairy farmers across the country and we all plant 10 trees, well, that's great. You've done 10 trees, but collectively we've now planted 100,000 trees. 
So that's just one tiny example. If we can aggregate all of the projects we do and be able to measure them efficiently and report them efficiently, then we can make a major impact on our environment. Now, Corb, specifically, you know, can you give us an idea of of how do you think this works for us as dairy farmers? Like, obviously, hearing about your farm and what you've done, you know, you've got some incredible things going on around your place that I think are leading the way in terms of sustainability targets for the industry. Um, you know, but can you give, you know, a dairy farmer like me or a lot of the others that maybe aren't quite as far down this path, um, you know, how do you, how do you think as an industry, as individuals, we can, we can help play our part beyond just, you know, the 10 trees you mentioned? Yeah. So, so I, I think that's a really good question, Andrew. And I think that is the biggest challenge in this next phase of this strategy development. In short, we're looking for constant improvement. We're not looking for everybody to become net zero tomorrow. It's just making small changes. And I, I don't know about you, but I have a young family and I always explain to them, when you leave the room, turn the lights off. When you're brushing your teeth, don't leave the water running. They're simple little things. And collectively, again, they make big differences. So if every farm can identify some of the weaknesses on their farm, some of the spots where they see waste, whether it's energy efficiency, or if they're not not using their manure adequate, adequately. There's a ton of nutrient in manure. We should see it as a valuable resource, not a waste product. So there's all sorts of little things that we can change. Now, as an industry, our job on this committee is going to be to come up with a whole host, a basket, so to speak, of best management practices that farms can implement. And, and in a perfect world, we'll have mentorship programs, we'll have funding for some of these larger capital projects, we'll have ways of effectively measuring and monitoring your success. And that way, each farm can pick what is best and most suited for them. So if you were at the, the annual policy conference a couple of weeks ago, we listed some of the major um, best management practices. For example, cover cropping. If, if all the farms across Canada did some cover cropping, it would make a major impact on our greenhouse gas emissions. So, so there's little things like that. And, and obviously, everything that we do for the environment is intertwined. We talk about greenhouse gas because that is what our consumers recognize. That's something that we can measure and report. But energy use, water use, biodiversity, soil health, all contribute to that GHG or greenhouse gas emissions target. So every little thing that we do helps. Um, and, and, and I think you guys know as business operators, that nobody is gonna do this out of the goodness of their heart and keep doing bigger and bigger projects. There has to be a return on some of this investment as well. So when we develop these, these plans, and, and I can speak from experience on my farm, um, I had planned on building an anaerobic digester several years earlier than what we did, but it just didn't make economic sense until I had a program that was available in, to buy my green electricity that suddenly made a business case. And then we could put the capital up front to build an anaerobic digester. And I think if you did the math on cover cropping or no-till or water conservation or energy efficiency or feed efficiency for your cows, all of these things will have to have a return before we adopt them widespread. So that's our challenge moving forward. So then, Corb, all of those make sense. And, you know, I start thinking back on my farm and I'm already kind of, you know, starting to count that, oh, yeah, you know, some of these do make sense and probably do make that 
business case for my farm. But I also know that not everything that the whole industry wants to do is going to make that business case for my farm. So I'm kind of wondering, is the plan for 2050 is part of these goals? Is it to make sure that every single farm is net zero by 2050? Or is this something we can do collectively where maybe, you know, some are, some are stretching that and are actually going above that, um, you know, for, for some of the other farms that can't quite get there? Yeah, ab- absolutely, Andrew. You hit the nail on the head. There is no scenario that sees every farm achieving net zero. That's it, It's just not feasible or practical. But collectively, as an industry, we feel that we can achieve net zero. So it, at this point, we're, we're just asking everybody to do their bit. And if everybody did two or three projects over the next 30 years, we'll be very close to achieving a 70% reduction in our greenhouse gas. So that leaves us about 30 to go. And the 30, obviously, it will it will depend on where technology goes, on on how efficient our cows are, on where we can get funding from. But there's there's going to be lots of opportunity for people to take part. And under no circumstances is everybody going to be required to get to net zero. It it, it just it's too hard. So we're talking quite a bit here about the farm side of things. Um, from an industry an industry perspective, uh, Corb, as you've been working on this, how important was it to align dairy with the government on the 2050 target? Yeah, so I'm a firm believer in making rules for ourselves instead of being told what to do and having rules being given to us. So we know full well that our government makes commitments internationally on their greenhouse gas targets. And we also know that our partners, our processors, are also making commitments to net zero, and we are a major input in their businesses. So there's pressure all around us to set these targets at net zero by 2050. We needed to do our own homework to make sure that was feasible and possible, which we think it is. But by by taking the bull by the horn, so to speak, we are able to to steer our own path to net zero. We're not going to be dictated by our government or by our processors. Farmers are going to lead the way. And that, that gives us a couple of big advantages, I think. One, it's to provide practical solutions for farmers. Instead of having people tell us how to do it, we get to develop the programs to do it. And second, I think it buys us a lot of social license with our consumers. They see that not only do we, like you mentioned earlier, Sarah, not only do do we naturally care for our environment because it's the thing that provides us our livelihood, but now we're actively going out and trying to find solutions for society by improving the environment that not only we farm in, but that everybody else lives in. So it really, I think, sets us up well in the mind of our consumers. The government obviously is happy that they don't have to enforce anything and that they're having an industry that is that is going to be a, a huge partner in all of this. And then I think the, uh, the biggest thing, obviously, is that for farmers, we can provide practical solutions to this on our own. I love that you said that, Cor, because it's one of those where I was thinking the same thing with David, that, you know, here we as an industry are working together to set that path for ourselves. Yeah. Sure, we're lining it up with the government targets, but I think when we come to the table not saying, you know, just we need help, we need help, we need help, we say, no, here's the solutions that we've come up. 
please help us get there. I think that goes so much further. Um, now you did mention the consumers and I, and I want to, you know, poke a little bit more at them because obviously we need to make sure that they're on side with this as well so that they continue to be our consumers and our customers. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've seen over the last number of years is that cattle can sometimes get a bad rap when it comes to environmentalism um, and, and sustainability. So can you give me an idea? How, how do we as an industry, now that we have these targets, now that we have a plan, now that we're coming up with solutions, how do we make sure that consumers understand that? And how do we make sure that consumers ultimately believe us that we are doing the right thing? Yeah, that's that's both really good points. So uh, our consumers are the key, right? If we don't have people buying our product, we don't make a product. So we, through our surveys, we have found out that consumers see dairy in a very positive light, but they also know that we should be doing more on the environmental side. So 85% of the consumers we surveyed thought that we should be focusing on greenhouse gas reduction. Another large majority of our consumers also, especially in the millennial category, were willing to pay more for products that were produced sustainably. So we know that they will support us financially if we do the right thing. Now to your next question, how are we going to prove to them that we're doing the right thing? First of all, we need to establish a baseline. What are we doing now? Because we know on our farms we have made dramatic improvements over the last decades, but we've never measured it. So we need to find an easy way to measure what we're doing um, now, currently, so that we can have, uh, we call them quantifiable targets. We need to be able to, to figure out the actual number of greenhouse gases that we produced. We're lucky in Canada that every five years we do a life cycle analysis, an LCA. We've done one in 2011 and one in 2016. So we know that uh, we know roughly what that baseline is with data that we've collected over the last decade. And we're going to continue to hone that in to collect more data so that everything that we say we do, we can back up with the numbers. Now, I don't know what it's like where you guys are, but you, we, as farmers, we turn into desk people more and more. There's a lot of paperwork involved with our operations. And that is something I rail against. I can't stand how much time we have to write, especially when you're writing the same thing down multiple times. So part of this process is to figure out how we reduce our, our, our paperwork and still get the information we need. And, and that is that those two pro, uh, projects are going hand in hand as we speak. We're going to use sustainability as the springboard to help with our data management file as well. So I, I, I'm excited about that as a farmer, not only to report our sustainability, but hopefully make more efficient some of the other stuff that we have to do on the paperwork side. I love that you're bringing up the human side of sustainability here. That's something that I'm often touching on because I think that you still have to want to do the job and it has to be uh, achievable. Uh, that balance is also important. Yeah, and, you're right. Uh, sometimes can get away on us here. <laughs> um, but swinging it back a bit, I like that you brought up the business case. Um, sometimes we step away from really thinking about farms as businesses, but they absolutely are. And we need to see them like that. I asked the same question to David in a little bit different way, but how can we balance 
Uh, we've got this human side of sustainability that we've touched on, but all of this sounds expensive, being honest. Like balancing environmental sustainability with financial sustainability is hard not to feel concerned about as a as a dairy farmer and a person running a business. How do you see that coming together as we work through this? Yeah, so I think the biggest obstacle will be, uh, it's a mindset more than anything else. Yes, there will be some capital investment, but change is hard. Doesn't matter what industry you're in or what age you are, change is hard. So um, I, I'll just use an example on our farm. I, I remember reading about cover cropping long before we ever tried it. And I remember saying to myself, well, that will never work. And, and I had all of the reasons why it would never work. And eventually we rented a, a no-till drill and tried little bits of it at a time. And it didn't take very long to realize the payback was immense. So that capital expenditure to buy our own no-till drill and uh, to, to cover crop and to harvest that cover crop, all of a sudden that payback was big. So I think the key to adopting and the key to making these changes manageable will be to outline how it works and to provide enough resources to train people to show them. And then hopefully they can do a calculation before they ever spend a dollar. I remember when we built the digester, there's a lot involved and it's a risky proposition and it's a lot of capital. And you just have to, it, it, we went back and forth with the bank and with our business planners and with my parents who were involved at the time. And there's a risk for sure. But there's more and more people doing these things now, and there's more and more experience out there. And as we, if we can use those as mentors to help the next generation adopt some of these practices, it will be less scary and less risky because we know how to do it. So that is, that is I think, the key to all of it. And like I said earlier, it doesn't need to be a massive multi-million dollar project to get started. It can be a little one like reusing your wash water or... Yeah, there's a bunch of little ones that you can do that don't cost much money that you still will see a return on your investment. I think you've hit it right on the head for me there. I don't even have to summarize in that the whole seeing others do it and feeling uplifted and inspired by their stories and, and what they're sharing and making it seem so much more achievable is what's going to bring us forward. And Corb, I've got to thank you. I'm so inspired by your, your story that you've shared with us and all the work you've done uh, to bring this to life in our industry and to help us move it forward as a collective, like you say, for 10,000 farms, not just yours. So thank you for your dedication to that and for joining us on the podcast today. We truly appreciate the work you're doing and look forward to seeing this all unfold for the industry. It's my pleasure. It's been really fun working with the team that's moving this forward. And, and uh, Annie Akmudi is the lead at, at DFC and with her team and Veresco. I'm excited about this next year. And obviously there's going to be more to be announced in July when we start announcing the how. So, so stay tuned for more. I can't wait to talk to you again when we figure out the how. Thanks so much. Thanks, Corp. My pleasure. Well, to me, Sarah, that all sounds really exciting. And it was so great to have both those perspectives from obviously Corb and David. I'm curious, though, you know, from you and, you know, kind of your farm in BC and, you know, your neighbors, what's what's your takeaway as we head to a net zero target at 2050? 
Well, I really thought they were both great guests and that they made it feel a lot more attainable. I think it's easy to hear a big goal like that and feel big feelings about just being very overwhelmed and uh, not sure where to start. And I think that they were both absolutely right that we can we can all do small things to get going in that direction. I mean, we do a few things that were mentioned, you know, we recycle our, our water or we recycle sand. We do some stuff already. And so then if you start to take stock of those and and patch all that together. I think that it really is the bigger picture that's going to make the difference for dairy farmers in Canada. Um, so I think it's not out of the question that we can do this and the teamwork is really what's going to bring it together. How about you, Andrew? How do you see it from your perspective on the position you're at with your farm and, and where you're going? Yeah, it's funny. The wheels are already kind of turning in my head. And but it is one of those things of a lot of those a lot of those points that David and Corb, Corb mentioned in terms of here's something that can have an impact are things that we're already maybe doing or we're already thinking about doing or, you know, we've thought of in the past that it doesn't just have to be in my mind. I kind of think, oh, you know, a, bi a biodigester has to be in if we're going to have an impact. And I think, oh, that's pretty expensive. But then mm -hmm. when you hear from them, you think, oh, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be that certainly not right away we can we can do a lot of other things so it, it's one of those where certainly you know thinking through I, I i think we can have little impacts every year and come up with some of those efficiencies and it was one of those you know they didn't mention it themselves but i know that there is that roadmap planning that is already in process and that's already coming up that that they're starting to look through some of these strategies. So I think it is one of those that for me, and I hope other farmers do the same thing that, you know, if you want to get involved in that roadmap, if you already have some ideas uh, in terms of what can be done, DFC is actually looking for volunteers and looking for just some ideas and thoughts to that, that you can actually get involved with. So if you want to email, get your pen and paper out, Sarah, you can email communications with an s communications at dfc-plc.ca that's the email address that if you want to get involved in some of this development if any of these things you know kind of sparked a light bulb as you were listening to david or corb um you know certainly send that email off and and get involved because i think if we do you know have our opinion heard and we do take part i think we can this actually sounds attainable sarah yeah, I think that whole bit about putting dairy farmers in the driver's seat about how this is going to look for us is really an important part and definitely encourage people who are interested to uh, reach out and get involved because now's the time and you actually can make a big difference to what things look like for the industry. So um, hopefully some people will follow through with that and, and get involved at this level. And it looks like that said, that's it for this episode of the Canadian Podcast, Andrew. Uh, I'd like to thank our guests, David Weens and Corb Whale. And as always, a big thank you to you for uh, pulling through this one with me. Oh, just we scream professionalism here at the podcast <laughs> era. So thank you. And of course, thanks for everyone for listening. Uh, that's it for now. You can catch us next time for the next great episode of the Canadian Podcast.